Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight we want to continue our study on them. If you, uh, hopefully you have a prayer sheet. Is anyone here that didn't get a prayer sheet? I know Brother John's got them, but um, on the back of the prayer sheet is uh, just the study uh, that uh, uh, we're doing with the, the verses as uh, Wednesday nights are a little bit more uh, topical. Tonight I want to talk about the grandeur uh, of God. And um, I don't know if you've ever gone to, you know, if you want to call it a tourist spot or a scenic spot where, you know, you see some of the great wonders uh, of creation. And because of the beauty of creation, uh, you're just in, in awe of what is there, be it, you know, it could be something as simple as sometimes Trish and I would go on hikes and, you know, there's a, there, there's a waterfall and I mean, it's just beautiful. Maybe, maybe it's something really big. Maybe you've been to uh, the Grand Canyon and uh, you're just in awe of the immensity of the Grand Canyon. Uh, I know for me, uh, several years ago, we went to uh, Estes Park, Colorado, and we were, you know, a, able to look at the Rocky Mountains. I mean, it was just breathtaking. But you know, at some point, there, there was some part of creation that just caused you to pause and say, wow. And that's really all you could say because just, wow, the awe of, uh, uh, of it all. When, when God revealed himself through his word, when God revealed himself through scripture, it was to have a similar effect. When God describes himself in scripture, when God describes his nature, when God describes his works, when God describes his character, the intentions are that we would see God for who he is and we would just say, wow. And we would worship him because he's just, wow, he's God. The truths that God has revealed about himself should, should just kind of catch our breath, e- even more than the Grand Canyon, even more than the Rocky Mountains, even more than a multicolored sunset, even more than the vast blue ocean, whatever it is about creation that you have been in awe of, we should be even more in awe of our great God. And as best as possible, the creeds and confessions that Christians have written over the centuries, that they try to summarize the grand truths that God has communicated about himself. And, you know, he, he communicates to us as much as possible in our limited human language. And the creeds and confessions try and summarize the teachings that God has revealed about himself. And... What we find in Scripture, and as, as the truths are summarized in these creeds and confessions, they should have that same effect of just this immense awe welling up inside of us, this immense awe of God's greatness and His majesty. We should just see these truths and just go, wow. What a great God that we serve. And just look at how 
The Second London Baptist Confession of Faith summarizes what the Bible tells us about our great God. In the second chapter of the Confession, in paragraph one, this is what it says about God. And if you don't say, wow, after this, I think you need to reread it several times until you finally get to the point of saying, wow, what a great God we serve. And so this is how the confession summarizes what, what, what Scripture says. The Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but Him. He is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. At the same time, he is perfectly just and terrifying in his judgments. He hates all sin and will certainly not clear the guilty. Wow. What a wonderful God. What an amazing God. Now, you know, I've started this a couple of weeks ago, just this one particular paragraph, and, and I, I, you know, you, you begin to think, oh, sure, I can summarize this in one or two weeks. Third, uh, we're on the third week. There is so much there. Our God is so good. Now, I previously talked about God being self-existent. I mean, God just has always existed. He just is. He, he was not created by anyone. He, he didn't even create himself. He just is. He just always existed. I also talked about the fact that God is a spirit and he's just completely whole in himself. He's not composed of parts. He's not made of different components. He, he just is God. He's just God. Well, the confession then starts hitting us with truth after truth that, that describes God's existence and character and attributes as best as our minds are able to comprehend it. And we have to remember our minds can only go so far and we are gonna have an eternity to just learn more and more and more. We have an eternity just going, wow, what a great God we have. But what does the confession summarize for us? Well, it says that God is immortal. That means that God is free from the condition of sin, death, and decay. Unlike us, God cannot die because he himself is life. I mean, he is life. God is the source of life, and everything that exists finds its life in him. He himself is life. It's, it's an essential part of his nature. It's an essential part of his essence. It can never be taken away from him. God will not die. God will never cease to exist. Only he is truly immortal. Paul uses this as a part of praise in 1 Timothy 1.17. 
He says, now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then, kind of connected to this, because the, the two are tied together in 1 Timothy 6, the confession goes on to describe God as dwelling in light that no one can approach. And so in 1 Timothy 6.16, we find immortality and then this truth connected together. Again, this is, this is a doxology. You notice how a lot of these are doxologies, which a doxology is a praise of God that's, you know, found, I mean, it's found in Scripture, but I mean, you know, we sing doxologies. I mean, we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, don't worry, I will not sing. I, I do not want to scare you off. But, you know, that we, we sing that, those wonderful truths. Well, here's another doxology. The doxology tells us theological truths about, about God. And he says, Paul says, he alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. So this reminds us that God himself in his existence is just so pure and so brilliant. His glory is such that no creature's senses, no matter who they are, no creature's senses are able to penetrate the glory that emanates from God. There, there is no creature who has ever seen God in his full, the fullness of his existence. I mean, we just can't. His existence is to other his existence is too bright, it's too brilliant for our creaturely eyes to behold. He, he dwells in unapproachable light. There's no darkness in God at all. And especially now because of our sin, there's no way we can come anywhere near that light outside of being covered in, in Christ. But even then, because we're finite human beings, we will never be able to see God in all of his fullness. We'll just be able to, to have just a little portion of that. And we'll just say, wow, even at that. But we're not able to approach his light. You know, think about this. We can't stare at the sun very long without damaging our eyes. You know, don't do that. But, you know, we can't, we can't stare at the sun without you know, we, we're just not able to. If we can't even stare at the sun, how would our eyes be able to behold the light of Almighty God? And so God, he reveals himself in, I will call it muted ways, for us to be able to understand this immortal God who dwells in unapproachable light. The confession goes on to say that God is unchangeable. Now, if you, the, the fancy theological term for that is immutable. And one theologian, Wayne Grudem, explains it this way. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises, yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. This is found in Scripture. We're told in Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, where the psalmist says, In earlier times you established the earth, the skies are your handiwork. They will perish, but you will endure. They will wear out like a garment, like clothes. You will remove them, and they will disappear. 
but you remain, your years do not come to an end. And what the psalmist is saying is, okay, so everything else that is outside of God, everything that exists in our universe is affected by time. And through time, we change. We change over time. Okay, so I've been around for 51 years. And in those 51 years, I have changed a lot. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe mentally, maybe not, I don't know, but I have changed a whole, in a matter of a couple days, I changed. Well, you know, sometimes I change within the same day, you know? I'm here, I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. I, I'm changing all the time. Well, what's the saying, how's the saying go? You know, the only constant that there is is change. I mean, that's the only constant. In my lifetime, in the lifetime of the entire universe, throughout all of eternity, which I'll talk about in a minute, God has never changed. He has never changed. James tells us in James 1.17 that all generous giving and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. Some versions will say the shadows of turning. There's not a hint of change in God. God, God's nature hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed. His knowledge hasn't changed. God does not change. And let me tell you something, that's good for us. Because that means God's plan for us will not change. More importantly, the way of salvation will not change. God will, God will not think, you know, from our perspective after a few years, you know what, this whole believing in Jesus thing ain't working out. I'm, I'm just going to wipe that whole thing out. No, God does not change. That's why we're secure, because he does not change. You know, it's, we, we, uh, we, we, we can hold to the truth that God's character will not change. He will always be just, and he will always be loving. And those two will always find their place together at the cross of Jesus Christ. God will not change. God will not all of a sudden turn into, you know, if you've ever seen movies or read books about supposed immortal beings or whatever, but they change constantly. God will not turn evil all of a sudden one day or anything like that. He can't. He cannot deny himself. He will not change. He is unchangeable. The confession goes on to say that God is immense. Now, you know, at first, you read that word and you're like, boy, that's understatement of the year. But I, honestly, you know, that, that's about as good as the English language can get, and you'll, you'll see why in a minute. But what it refers to is the fact that he transcends space. You know, we're probably more familiar with the term um, omnipresent, which means God is not limited in any way by space. Wayne Grudem again describes it this way. He says, God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet God acts differently in different places. You know, we, have, we, we tend to say that God is everywhere. Well, God is 100% 
everywhere. He is 100% here in Harvest, Alabama. He is 100% in Beijing, China. He is 100% in whatever the farthest planet from Earth is. I mean, I don't know, a long, far, far away. He's 100% there. And he is able to fulfill his plans in all of those places. God is working here in harvest. And right now, at the same time, he's working in Beijing. And right now, he's working at whatever that farthest planet is from Earth. Now, what he does there, I don't know. But he's there working. He is present. And he, he's doing something everywhere that he is present, which is everywhere. So now we can see why the author of the confession used the word immense, because he's immense. Listen to the biblical testimony. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Do you people think that I am some local deity and not the transcendent God, the Lord asks? Do you really think anyone can hide himself where I cannot see him, the Lord asks? Do you not know that I am everywhere, the Lord asks? You know, because especially, you know, during the time of, of Israel, all the nations had their own gods. And I'll put that in air quotes. You know, all the nations had their own gods and they were just local deities. The Edomites had their god. The Babylonians had their gods. You know, they were all local deities and they thought they, they were just localized. You know, okay, well, you know, the Syrian god just does his thing in Syria and the Babylonian gods do their thing in Babylon, but, you know, they don't go into anybody else's territory. And our, our God, the true God, the creator God who created all things, he's like, do you really think that I'm just a local deity? Don't you know that I'm everywhere? I mean, he is. He, he is everywhere. David declared in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you would be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, there you would be. If I were to fly away on the wings of dawn and settle down on the other side of the sea, even there your hand would guide me. Your right hand would grab hold of me. You can't escape from God. And that's an assuring word for us that no matter where we are in life, both literally and figuratively, God is there. God is there for us. You know, so many times people say, I don't know if God is there with me. Well, he is. He is, because he's God, he's immense, he's everywhere. So you can rest assured, he does see what's going on in your life. He does care, and he is there with you. Be assured of that, but then maybe if we wanna also take this as a warning, when we sin, when we have our unholy moments in life, he's there. Thankfully, he's a loving, forgiving God for everything he's seen me do, been present with me doing. And so, you know, we, we're just thankful. We have God who's immense. He's everywhere. The confession goes on to say that God is the eternal God. Um, if calling God immense had to do with space, calling God eternal, it describes his relationship with time. Again, I'll allow Grudem to have, give his definition. 
He says God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all of time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and acts within time. God's word declares this in Psalm 90, verse 2. Even before the mountains came into existence or you brought the world into being, you were the eternal God. God's eternal aspect, is, to me, is one of the most important aspects to keep in the back of our minds when trying to understand the way that God works. When there are revelations in Scripture that we're not able to come to grips with, or if there seems to be these paradoxes that we cannot seem to reconcile, more than likely it's because we are not understanding God's eternal state. We don't understand that God, not only does He see the beginning from the end and everywhere in between, he is there at the beginning and the end and everywhere in between. And so he, he knows, he, he's there. He is here on June, whatever today's date is, 14th, 2023, as much as he is January 23rd, 572 B.C., or something like that. And if the earth is still around a thousand years from now, he's as much there. He's just, he, he, he's not limited by time. He created time. When he created the universe, he created space and time. They are connected, they are related, and because of this relationship with time and space, we are stuck at a certain time at a certain space. And that's why it is so hard for us to understand the whole no limitation by time and space. I mean, we, 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 we don't get it. We, we can't fully comprehend the depth of what we're being told. Hence, hence you know, the, what, the next word that the, the confession uses is incomprehensible. I mean, we, we, he reveals these truths to us, and yet we, we don't fully grasp them but we believe them to be true because he says it we're, we're not ever going to be able to grab to grasp the big picture of God but we are under, able to understand what God has revealed but there's things that are beyond us and so to us they might seem like paradoxes you know the unbelievers will call them contradictions they're not contradictions they're paradoxes they they they, we, our finite minds are not able to just make the connection, but there is a, a connection. What I like to say is that we have to learn to be content to live within the tension of God's eternity. I mean, God is eternal, and it brings tension to the human minds that we're not able to grasp. I mean, to, to grasp this whole thing that, that God you know, the Bible says that we are elect and predestined. The Bible says that we are responsible for believing. How does that work? I don't know. That is within God's eternity. We're, you know, we're, we're, we, the Bible says we're elect. The Bible says we have to believe. So which is which? which, is which? I mean, it's, it's both. It's a tension that we're left with when we're trying to explain the workings of an eternal God. I mean, for, for those who, 
who think they have to understand every facet of everything. I mean, every, I, I need to know, I need to understand every nook and cranny of what's going on here. You're gonna find the Bible and God to be very frustrating because there are just some things you have to take by faith, right? That's God, there, there, you have to take it by faith. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to, to please God. You have to believe who he is. You have to believe what he has revealed. And if you don't understand what he has revealed, you're not able to undo the tension that it leaves. You just take it, have to take it by faith. You know, the Bible says this, it also says that. My mind can't reconcile the two, but I trust the eternal God who says they're both true. And I, I just believe him, and I trust in him. God is immense in that he's not limited by space. God is eternal. He's not limited by time. And the confession also says that he is almighty, meaning he has ultimate power. There never has been there never can be anything that exists that has more power than God. He has all power. I mean, anything that exists outside of God was created by God and obviously cannot have any more power than God has. He is supreme. And this ought to give us comfort knowing that nothing will be able to knock God off his throne. You know, that was the, the thing with all the pagan deities, be it the Greeks or the Romans or, or whoever, the gods were always fighting one another for power. Who's going to be king of the hill, so to speak? Because they all were somewhat equal in power. But our God is almighty. There, I mean, there's no one that even has one one millionth of his power. I mean, there, there's no one who can even come close because there's no one like him. There, there is no threat that exists for God. There is nothing that can threaten his will. There is nothing that can threaten his plans. There is nothing that can threaten his purposes. God has all power. God is not on his throne wringing his hands wondering if there is going to come someone who is going to thwart him and his plans. You know, in, in Psalm 2, it talks about how all these people, all these nations, all these rulers are trying to make plans to oust God. And it says, the one who sits in heaven just laughs. Laughs mockingly. Looking at all these creatures thinking that they can somehow overthrow God. And he just laughs like, are you kidding me? Do you not understand who I am? Do you not understand who you are? That's why it's so futile for mankind to rebel against God. Because what in the world are we going to do to him? Remember at the end of Job, you know, Job and his friends had their little pity parties and, you know, they were all wrong about something. And finally at the end of Job, God has his say. And he kind of brings Job down a few notches, like, um, who do you think you are? Talking about things you do not understand. But, you know, God, you know, God confronts Job. 
He says this in Job 40, verse 2. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let the person who accuses God give him an answer. I mean, you're accusing me. Who, you think you can take me on? You think you can do something to me? Instead of fighting a losing battle against God, wouldn't you rather just rest in the arms of the Almighty knowing that when you're in the hands and the arms of Almighty God, there ain't no one or nothing that can pull you out? A few weeks ago, you know, Brian had, had gave a testimony about assurance. And, and I mean, that's our assurance. No one can pull us out of the arms of loving God once we're in them. Because he is almighty. You know, and because he's almighty, that's why I cannot for the life of me fathom what in the world Satan was thinking. I mean, did you, I know that my mind works in weird ways. Have you ever just thought about that? I mean, what was Satan thinking when he rebelled against God? What were those other angels thinking that followed Satan? What were, what were they thinking? Because, because they knew God's power. Now, if I'm, there's another verse in, in Job where it seems to indicate that the angels watched God create the universe. And so they watched God have the power to create an entire universe. And then you think that somehow you're going to knock him off the throne? You think you're going to usurp his power? What are you thinking? What they should have done is what we're called to do as well. Be in awe of the immortal, unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty God who dwells in unapproachable light. What they should have done is seen God and his being and his character and his works and go, wow. And then worship him and obey him. And that's what humanity needs to do. Unfortunately, most of humanity has been blinded to this immense, eternal, unchangeable God. And we need to pray that God would take the blinders away so that they see, they're in awe, and then they believe what God has revealed, especially the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And when you see what a holy, wonderful God did for sinful humanity by sending his own son to die for a rebellious, ungrateful people, you better say, wow. And we need to pray that people would see that. And if there's anyone here who hasn't seen that yet, we pray that you would see God's love for you that he sent his son. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. 
For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.